my honor to welcome you here to East Taylorsville and uh, so glad that you could join us during this Christmas season. And just a couple of announcements as we begin. Um, this week we're planning to have our senior adult, our monthly lunch in, but that has been canceled and uh, the meal that we we're planning to have this week, we're pl planning to do that in January. So just to make a note of that for all of our seniors. Also a reminder for those of you who have signed up, you probably know this already, our Christmas party over in the gym begins this afternoon at five o'clock and we appreciate all the work that Justin has put in that, leading that tonight. So I want to encourage you to do that. And as a part of tonight, as I mentioned last week, we've got some uh, pieces of art in the lobby. And uh, tonight, as a part of your evening, we're going to have carriage rides. We're also going to have uh, a meal and some other things going on in the gym. But we just encourage you tonight just to enjoy the evening together as a family. Um, you can come over here into the lobby. We're going to have in the room just a presentation of the gospel. I don't know who all signed up, but maybe you've got a friend coming. But tonight you'll hear a clear presentation of the gospel out there in the lobby and walk through the Christmas story. So we just encourage you to be a part of that tonight, um, and we're looking forward to that. But as we begin our service, I'm going to ask you to stand as I read a passage of scripture. 
And it is from Galatians. Chapter 4 begins, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This season, whether you give a gift or receive a gift or not, whether you decorate or don't decorate, it does not change the significance of what this season's about. Every time we gather during the month of December, um, it's a reminder that we are here to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. That's what this season is all about. So as we sing this morning, as you hear the preaching, everything that we do, may it be a reminder of what this season's all about. Let's sing together.
thank you. As you know, this is a time that we set aside during our church service to pray. And uh, as our praise team leads us in a, a song of worship, if you will, meet me here at this altar. You can come, of course, by yourself or with your family. And I'd ask you to pray for this church service. Also, we're going to be having a business meeting at the end of the service. And uh, as we talked about this morning, pray for our nation. We're in desperate need of prayer as a nation as well. If you know of anybody that's lost, I'll be preaching on this Wednesday night about evangelistic praying. Now would be a good time to pray for them during this during this uh, church service. So as the praise team leads us, you meet me here at this altar, and then Mark's going to lead us in this time of prayer. Thank you. Father, we come to you just as we are. Father, help us to be more like you and less like us. Lord, help us to find ourselves in a state of repentance, a state of seeking your face. Like James says, the Lord, that we might come to the perfect law of liberty. And Lord, that we might see in it the truth of who we really are. And Father, this morning, we want to thank you for who you are. Thank you for being our Savior. Lord, as this season reminds us, you're coming to us to redeem us from our sin and forgive us. And Lord, we want to thank you for forgiveness this morning. Lord, we want to thank you for grace and mercy this morning. Because if it wasn't for you, we'd have no hope. We want to thank you for a risen Savior. God, we want to thank you that you're here and you're alive forevermore. And Father, we want to thank you for living in our hearts and giving us the, the promise and the seal of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And Lord, we're so grateful for that this morning. And Father, we want to bless your name today. We've come to worship you in spirit and in truth. We've come to praise you for who you are. You're worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And Father, we're here to do one thing, and that's to glorify you because you've given yourself that we might have life and that we might be saved. And Father, and to live life that others might know you as well. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for loving us. We pray, Lord, that you meet all these needs in this room according to your riches in Christ Jesus. And Father, we pray you'd use us for your benefit and for your honor and for your glory and for the fathom of your kingdom. I pray you'd bless this day of worship. May you be honored in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Amanda. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start here, but we're going to end up in John chapter 5. The title of the message, in the next at least three weeks, we're going to be talking about the baby in the manger. Who is this baby? Who is it? This morning, we're going to look at the deity of Christ. If you have your Bibles, just stand with me and look at Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 18 through 23. Then we'll turn to John chapter 5. And as you're finding your place, just want to remind you that we'll finish today's message around 11, 15 the children from Children's Church will come over with the workers, and then we'll have our special called business meeting, which will be a vote. And then after that, we'll go into our quarterly business meeting, which should be really short, but we do want to give you time and give ourselves time to have that meeting. It's a very important meeting this morning. Notice what the Bible says in verse 18 of chapter 1 of Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother married was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, just signifying that this was a virgin birth. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which she has conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And next week, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he's superior to all other saviors. Notice verse 22. This is where we're going to get to today. So all this was done that it might be spoken, or that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying this. This was prophecy being fulfilled. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, 
they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So the baby in the manger is the Lord God himself. Notice John chapter 5. Jesus defends his deity. John chapter 5, starting in verse 16, says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Notice that. They were so upset with Jesus, he healed a man on the Sabbath. And when they talked to him about healing a man on the Sabbath, he told him, I'm doing the works of my Father, making himself equal with God. Make no mistake about it. This is Jesus' greatest sermon on his deity in all the Bible. And it's in response to Jewish leaders. It says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. That's a major claim to make if you're just a regular person. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because Why? Because he's claiming to be equal with God. Because he has not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Make no doubt about it. Jesus claimed he was equal with God. No doubt about it. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Your version may say verily, verily, or truly, truly, which means Jesus is saying this, All my words are important, but I'm putting weight on these words. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do for whatever he does, talking about the Father, the Son also does in like manners. And what Jesus is saying is this, The works that I work are just as equal as God's works. Major claim to make. Then he says in verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. And what Jesus is saying is this, Up to this point, I healed a guy. He took up his pallet and walked. I turned the water into wine, but greater works are coming in my lifetime. And they did. Then he says in verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. And what Jesus is saying here is this, God's will and my will are equal. They're just equal. Then verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son. Notice, notice verse 22, what Jesus is saying is this, God's judgment and my judgment are equal. Amazing statement. And then in verse 23, he makes he, if he's not God, he's blaspheming here. Verse 23 says that all should honor, that means worship, the Son, just as they honor the Father. If Jesus is not God, he broke the first commandment and the second commandment. Right there. The Jews are frustrated at this point. Jesus says this, as you worship God, you worship me. What a tremendous claim to make. What a tremendous claim to make. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24, most assuredly says, listen, amen and amen. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And Jesus is saying this, God's words and my words, they're equal. God's words and my words are equal. These words written in red are equal to God the Father who is ruling and reigning in heaven. Jesus makes some bold claims here. We just, you just can't push these aside and say Jesus is just a prophet or a teacher. No, he said he's God. That's what he said. He's defending his deity. Verse 25, most assuredly, amen and amen, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. For as a father has life in himself... So he has granted to the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. And Jesus is saying this, I have equal authority with God the Father. What an amazing claim. Verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice 
and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And Jesus is saying this based on his authority that when that day comes, there's going to be two groups of people. Those that are going to heaven and those that are going to hell. That's exactly what he's saying. Make no mistake about it. In Jesus Christ himself, the baby in the manger, is saying this, I'll be your judge on that day. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. Fully God, fully human in sinless flesh. That baby in the manger, that baby in the manger, is who they're worshiping in heaven right now, along with God the Father. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, what great claims our Savior has made. He's the Savior of all saviors, King of kings, and Lord of lords. There's no one like Jesus. Father, help us to never, ever, ever try to be politically correct and place Jesus on the same level as somebody like Buddha and Muhammad and some of these sinful pagan people. Jesus, you're God in flesh. You're our Savior. No one is like you. There's no second to you. And Father, I pray that we'd have mature, intelligent Christian thoughts and not buy into some of the garbage that's going around the world. That's literally blasphemy. Some of the things people stand in a pulpit and say about Jesus is utter blasphemy. Father, help us to be mature in our thoughts. You are God in flesh. And you are worshipped just as God the Father is worshipped. Your words are on the same level. You're equal with God the Father. So, Father, this Christmas season, the baby in the manger, we worship your deity this morning. In Christ's name I pray, and all of God's people say together, Amen. One pastor, a lot smarter than me, said this. Now, listen to what he says. It is estimated that of all the people who have ever lived from the beginning of creation to this time, there have been about 100 billion people who have lived here on this planet. Out of those 100 billion, very few have had any major effect on human history. There is one person who stands out unique above all the rest. That one person, Jesus Christ, has attracted a greater amount of attention, devotion, criticism, adoration, and opposition than any other person of those other 100 billion people. Every recorded word that this man spoke has been studied and sifted through and analyzed from generation to generation by theologians and by philosophers and historians. And while we're sitting here talking at this moment, there are millions of people studying what he said. Even as we study God's word right now, multiplied millions are praying in his name. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He existed on the earth some 2,000 years ago, and he preached and taught in a tiny little land called Israel. Yet the birth of this baby has divided the centuries into B.C. and A.D. He never wrote a book, so far as we know, but more books have been written about him than any other, per any other person in all of history. He never painted a picture or wrote a poem or formed a sculpture as far as we know. He never wrote any music as far as we know. Yet his life has been the motivation and the inspiration for every kind of art form. He never raised an army, yet millions of people have laid down their lives for him to spread the gospel. He never traveled very far from that tiny little area where he walked, and yet his influence is worldwide. He never spoke more than a few thousand to more than a few thousand people at one time in his earthly ministry, yet today more than 30% of the world's population claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. His ministry lasted for only three years, yet today by radio and television and printed literature, his word goes around the world. So far as we know, he has never had much formal education beyond the synagogue school, yet thousands of universities and seminaries and schools are built in his name. And no one can claim to be educated who does not understand who the baby was and is. The great noted historian Kenneth Scott 
Latorit said this, Nobody has had the powerful influence for Lord Jesus Christ to explain Him as beyond comprehension. To ignore Him is beyond foolishness. To reject Him is damnable. Human speech is inadequate to fully describe Him. My mind is too small to comprehend Him. My heart is too insufficient to fully contain this one whose name is Jesus. Who is this baby lying in the manger? He, is a, he has the name above all names. He is a pearl of great price. He was the Word at the beginning who spoke all things into existence. He is God who came to us in human flesh. Jesus Christ is God and flesh. And this morning we're going to look at the baby in the manger and just his claims about his deity. And in chapter 5 of John, Jesus is being persecuted by the religious leaders. And Jesus does this. He's very courageous and bold. He says, I'll preach to you today, to the Jewish leaders, and I'm going to tell you who I am. There is no parables being spoken here. Very plain, courageous, bold preaching in the face of death because chapter or verse 16, 17, and 18 tell us they sought to kill him. That's how, that's how upset they were that Jesus claimed to be equal with God. There's no mistake in Jesus' uh, uh, point in his sermon. He was basically saying, I am not like you. I am not just a moral teacher. I'm not just a good example. All right, as liberal theologians will tell you, I am God in flesh, plus or minus nothing. All of your salvation hinges on this point. Either he is or he isn't. C.S. Lewis, the one-time atheist turned Christian, said this, Jesus is either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. You can't be all three. You're one or the other. So in your mind today, he's either Lord. The person that makes these type of claims are making bold claims. Notice how Jesus kind of proves his deity. He says this in verse 19, My works are equal to the works of the Father. Notice the verse on the screen. Jesus makes this statement. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly or truly, truly, verily, 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 amen, amen. He's saying, you better listen up. I say to you, Jesus always gets personal. It's almost like Jesus looked at these religious leaders and said, I'm saying to you today, amen and amen. Quote me on this. Listen to what I'm saying. The son can do nothing of himself. What a bold claim. But what he sees the father do. Jesus claims to see what the father is doing. The Jews' blood would, would be boiling now. Okay, But what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son does also. Now look at this. In like manner. And what Jesus is saying, this claim that he's making, and he's either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic, is what the Father does, I do. What you see the Father do, I can do. What the Father does, I am doing right now. What a tremendous claim. So what are the, some of the things, I'm going to go through these briefly, it won't be on the screen, that Jesus did, that the Father did, claim to do. The first one is this, creation. Only Jesus can create everything out of nothing. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, in verse 3, he says this, All things came into being, all things, through Jesus. And apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. Only Jesus, acting with the Father, was able to create the universe in six days. No human being can do that. No moral teacher can do that. No prophet can do that. Only God in flesh can do that. The writer of Hebrews says that all things, all laws of thermodynamics, gravity, all these things, are upheld by the power of the word of this baby in the manger. All things. You know why we don't freeze? You know, if we're tilted just a little bit, we're going to freeze to death. If we're tilted the other way, we're going to burn up. Because Jesus upholds it by the word of his power. 
Why are all the planets just like they're supposed to be? Because Jesus upholds it by the word of his power. Paul said to the church at Colossae, don't misunderstand who Jesus is. In him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells, all of it, and he's created everything on earth that's ever lived, everything in the heavens that you see, all powers and all principalities, the things you can't see. Jesus created it all. So Jesus is saying this, God created, I created, we created these things together. We're equal. Not only that, but think about this. Jesus forgave sins. Now, if Kayla up, stands up and smacks Matt and I say, Kayla, I forgive you. Does that help you at all, Matt? Do I have the authority to forgive her sins? I don't do it. Don't, don't, don't encourage her, he said. <laughs> Jesus would say this, I forgive your sins. See, in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus was preaching in a house, some guys brought his buddy who was paralyzed, tore the roof off because of how the roofs were done then, lowered him down, and then Jesus said basically what he said, and I'll paraphrase, I forgive your sins, stand up and walk. Listen to what the Jewish leaders said. This is what they said. They said, how can you forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus looked at him and said, what's easier for me to forgive his sins or tell him to walk? And the guy stood up as a trophy of God's grace and just walked out of the place. Only Jesus can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. The psalmist says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our sins. And then Jesus in the New Testament says, I forgive your sins. He's just not a teacher. He's just not. His works and God works are equal. Jesus also raised the dead. Lazarus, come forth. Four days late. Good song, right? And Lazarus, Lord, Lord, by now he stinketh. King James Version says. Jesus says, move the, move the stone. Lazarus, come forth. And guess what? Lazarus came forth. Only God can do that. Not only that, but Jesus says, I, you don't take my life, he told He told. uh he told the king or the emperor, he said, you don't take my life, I lay it down. And not only do I lay my life down, I'll pick it back up again. I'm going to raise myself from the dead. Those are some pretty bold claims. He says, my works and God's works are equal. And not only that, but Jesus controlled the weather. How many times did he stop a storm? So he's equal in his works. In verse 21, he says, I'm equal in my, in my will with the Father's will. Notice the verse in verse 21. He says this, for the Father, go back to the other one, brother. Verse 21, he says this, For as the Father, notice verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Stating this, God's will and my will are exactly the same. Jesus is saying this, I have a sovereign will. And he says this, I give life to whomever I wish. In John 10, when he's making this claim as well, Jesus says this, The Father and I are one. He told the Jewish leaders again. And what he's saying is that is this, we're not the same person. He says, The Father and I are one in essence, we're one in will, we're one of purpose, and we're one of intention. The Father and the Son are always perfectly in harmony in their will. And as Jesus came into this world, Jesus came in submission to the will of the Father in his incarnation, and in doing so, Jesus performed perfectly the will of the Father. Jesus says in John 6, next chapter over, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. No one has ever fully surrendered to God's will because we're sinful people, but Jesus has. 
You know, as a church, what we always say in our deacons' meetings, we said it this morning, Steve said it beautifully. We don't want our will to be done today, we want God's will to be done. But even in our human nature, we don't fully, fully, 100% do the Father's will, Jesus did. He says, not only are we equal in our works, but we're equal in our will. Tremendous statement that Jesus is saying, what I do, the Father does, what the Father does, I do. Then he says this, we're equal in judgment. Notice verse 22. He makes this statement in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So who will be our judge one day? Jesus. He's going to be our judge one day. It's something really to think about because when you think about this, Stephen Lawson put it this way, this is to say the Father has turned over the gavel of the Supreme Court of Heaven and Earth and has given all authority to judge on the last day and has given that to the Son. And the judgment that Jesus will execute is the judgment that the Father would execute if the Father was to judge. Because the will of the Father is the will of the Son and the work of the Father is the work of the Son. Therefore, the judgment of the Father has been handed over to become the judgment of the Son. The Old Testament, they always talked about God this way. In Genesis it says, Shall not the judge of all the earth deal rightly? And what he's saying is only God can judge at the highest level. Deuteronomy 1 says, You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. Psalm 94 says, Rise up, O judge of the earth, talking about God. Then you come to Acts. You come to Acts chapter 10, and Peter's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And then in verse 42, he says this, And he, Peter says, referring to Jesus, ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one, referring to Jesus, who has been appointed by God, by God the Father, as judge of the living and the dead. When Paul is on Mars Hill preaching to the Epicureans and the Stoics and all the intellectual people of his day, he says this in Acts 17. He says, make no mistake about it. He, referring to the Father, has fixed a day, a day fixed that is irrevocable, is fixed right now, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And how is he going to do it? Here's how he's going to do it. Through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead, talking about Jesus. And what Paul told the intellectual elites of his day is this. God has a day fixed on his calendar that will not change. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness, which means there's no grace or mercy there. It's just you're either saved or you're lost. Just as Jesus talked about in this in this chapter, you're either to the resurrection of eternal life or the resurrection of damnation. And he says he's going to judge the world through this person, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Christian, says this. Listen, this is why we encourage you, if God has given you a spiritual gift, use that gift. God don't make any mistakes. He knows all about you. He knows your personality, your talents, things you love and don't love. That's why Paul says that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. There's no square pegs and round holes. It's just round holes and round holes, all right? It just flows. That's how God made you, and he's gifted you. And what, what Paul says to the church at Corinth is this. One day you're going to stand before Jesus and give an account, Christian, not of your sin, but did you do what God asked you to do? See, God's not asking you to do what he's asked me to do. He's not asking me to do what he's asked you to do. As a matter of fact, Paul put it this way. Now listen to this. For we, talking about all Christians, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, whether according to what he has done, whether they're good or bad. See, we're saved by grace, but we're judged by our works. 
pew sitters are going to have a hard time on that day. People that never give because you just don't believe in giving are going to have a hard time on that day. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Not on this earth. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, he sees it. Now one day you're going to stand before Jesus, Christian, and give an account of your life, your time, your talent, your treasures. How much of your time each week do you give to Jesus and his kingdom? You'll give an account of that on that day, and I will too. God has supernaturally gifted you in his sovereign plan. He knows all about you, and you'll give an account of that on that day. Jesus will be your judge. He will be your judge, and that judgment will be just, righteous, and perfect for all eternity. Not much at stake, is there? Just all of eternity based on your small little life. Isn't it amazing how selfish we can be? I can be too. I can be super, super selfish. How much of your time each week do you give to the Lord and to His kingdom? Think about that. I am amazed at the number of people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be members of this church that never come. You'll give an account on that day of your time. Trust me, you will. This is the bride of Christ at East Hazel Baptist Church. Jesus Christ, let me read this again. This is no mistaken what God says here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he or she has done, whether good or bad. Paul told Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead by his appearing and by his kingdom. Now notice this, if you're lost, Jesus Christ will be your judge. Revelation 20 says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. That's Jesus. Earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. There were so many people. And I saw the dead, small and great. People you knew and people you didn't know. Small people nobody took notice of. Great people everybody adored. Standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, each one personally according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If you study that word for cast, it's like I'd wad up this piece of paper and toss it. Jesus Christ will be, I promise you this, your judge. And then the fourth thing Jesus says is this claims is that he was equal in worship to God the Father. Notice the verse on the screen. Jesus makes this point that all should honor the Son as they honor the Father. That means worship. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You can't say I believe in God and don't believe in Jesus. Can't do it. You can't say I worship God but I don't worship Jesus. You can't do it. You can't say all religions are the same because they're not. Foolish talk. You cannot do it. To honor the Son is to adore the Son. It is to worship the Son. It's a Greek word that means to fix the highest value upon a person. At the beginning of Jesus' life, listen to this. The Bible says, As soon as the Magi laid eyes on the infant Christ, they bowed down and worshipped Him. A two-year-old. In the middle of his life, he healed a blind man. The Bible says, the blind man said this, Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. At the end of his life, Thomas, the doubter, falls at Jesus' feet and says, My Lord... And my God and worshiped him. In heaven in Revelation chapter 4, listen to what they are saying. The saints, the angelic beings. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who shall be forevermore. And all of heaven is worshiping God the Father. Then in Revelation chapter 5, guess who they're worshiping? They say this, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive riches and honor and power and glory. And the 24 elders and the myriads and myriads of angelic beings and thousands of thousands fell down before the Lamb. In Revelation 4, they're worshiping God the Father. In Revelation 5, they're worshiping Jesus Christ, this baby in the manger. That's why Philippians 2.10 says, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the heaven, they're not worshiping saints. They're not crying out to Mary. They're worshiping the Father and the Son in equal worship. Then in the fifth thing, Jesus says this, and I'm going to hurry, that my words and God's words are equal. Notice the verse on the screen. He makes the statement, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Tremendous statement. If you believe what I say, you have everlasting life. That's why it's so important. That's why we're so committed to evangelism. If you don't hear his word, you don't get saved. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why we're committed to missions. There's only one way for anyone to ever be brought into the kingdom. It's for them to hear and believe what is said. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes, trusts in them. Yes, Jesus is Lord. And I place my faith in him. That's how you're saved. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing the word of God. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, God in flesh, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus said this in this, in this chapter, The dead will hear my voice, and they will live. Talking about not the people dead. He goes on in chapter or verses 28-29, talking about dead people being raised from the dead. But earlier he says this, Spiritually dead people will hear my words and they'll come to life. Do you remember the time that God convicted your heart and you believed? Me, it was October 30th, 1990. It's like I heard the voice of the Lord. Be born again. God was sovereignly drawing me to himself. Instead of fighting it and running from it, I said yes to Jesus. 20 years old. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. They hear me and they follow me. A stranger they will not follow. You say, well, I know so-and-so, he left the faith. No, he didn't. He never had faith. You don't leave the shepherd if you're a sheep. You never do. Then the final thing is this, and we'll close with this, is this. Jesus says this, I am equal in authority to God. Notice the verse on the screen. He says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. That's a messianic title that Daniel started out with in Daniel chapter 7. What Jesus is saying here, that word authority means the freedom to act as one pleases, the right to do whatever you so desire, that there is no higher authority than you. Jesus says there's no higher authority on the planet ever who has ever lived than me. Tremendous claim. It, it points to the word sovereignty, which means that you have authority over all people, over all circumstances and events and destinies. That's what the word sovereignty means. The word autonomy means you have authority over yourself to do whatever you want to do. And the only one who has autonomy and authority over himself is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then verse 28, Jesus says this. Don't marvel at this. Look at verse 28. He says, don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good or placed their faith in Jesus to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to 
for the resurrection of condemnation. Which group are you in today? Because one day, if you die today, you're coming back to stand before the Lord. Either the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment, have you placed your faith and trust in Him? I'm going to ask our musicians to come and just play something real softly. And if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. If you're a Christian, what should I do with the baby in the manger? Well, number one, I would encourage you, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of your circumstances, to trust Him. If He is God in flesh, trust Him. Why would you trust someone else when you could trust the one who is God? If you have health issues, trust Him. Go to your doctor, take medicine, do whatever, but ultimately trust the great physician. If you're having marriage problems, trust Him, the great counselor, the Lord of lords and King of kings. And then, Christian, we should adore Him and honor Him and worship Him, sing praises to the Lord. Give your life to Jesus. Place your faith and trust in Jesus, Christian. You're going to stand before Jesus one day and give an account of your life. Stop wasting time and give your life to Jesus. Seek for yourselves the treasures that are in heaven where moth and dust cannot corrupt and thieves can't break in and steal. And then if you're here today, you never placed your faith and trust in Him, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the quietness of this moment, you can pray a prayer similar to what I prayed on a Tuesday night about a mile from this church. I said, Jesus, I am a sinner and I deserve hell, but I'm placing my faith and trust in the resurrected Jesus Christ. From this day forward, Jesus, I'll follow you from this day forward. And from that day forward, every morning I wake up, I trust in Jesus. And I'm trusting in Jesus right now. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, for the salvation that you alone can bring. And Lord, please help us to never, ever, ever compare you to a human being. You're God in flesh. Your works are equal to God's. Your will is equal to God's. Your word's equal. You deserve the same worship. You will be our judge and you have all authority. What a blessing that baby in the manger was. Little did Mary know at the time whom she had given birth to, but later she did. So, Father, we're so thankful for the grace and mercy that you extend to us. Lord, as we go into this business meeting, I pray that you be honored and glorified in it as well. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you and amen. We're just going to go into the business meeting.